Welcome to the Startups Roundtable podcast, where we discuss the science and art of startups with founders and the broader startup community. I'm Tony Hackett, and I've spent over a third of my B2B sales career either working for early stage startups or as a go-to-market and social selling mentor for founders and their teams. In each episode, we will explore various topics, including decision-making, team-building, and growth strategies. Before we meet today's guest, I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people attending today. The ability to qualify, route and schedule meetings from your website is the cornerstone of effective customer connection. With the right technology, businesses now have the capability to provide their online visitors with an easy way to set up a meeting at any time. Today's guest is Caddy CEO and founder, Alan Nowodgrodsky, who will introduce how his exciting startup has developed technology to provide a seamless customer experience and improve outreach efforts. Alan, welcome to the Startups Roundtable. Maybe you can get us underway with a bit about yourself and what you and the team at Caddy are up to right now. Thanks, Tony. Pleasure being here. Yeah, happy to give you a really quick introduction. For those listening, my background goes back into marketing, started there in university, worked in digital marketing for a few companies and uh, one day discovered product. And I was like, well, what product is a lot more fun than building websites? And that started about a 10 year career in product management, really on the engineering side and led me to the very end of my career where I actually connected both both things together, building product and really helping marketers. And so that's what led to, to Caddy and really this idea of like, how do we make it not just easier for customers to connect with you on your website, but how do we make it a better experience? How do we make it easier and really focus on, on conversions? So it's been it's been a fun journey connecting product and marketing together. Alan, you talk about connecting with customers. My expectation is that you would have laid out multiple customer journeys to try and work out how you bring this streamlining and this automation together. Could you maybe share a little bit about that process, the, the early days of working out what you could do what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I don't even think I was trying to start a company. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to do something in the near future. That was on my mind. You know, I think a lot of people probably listen. They're like, yeah, I've been thinking of something I want to build. And I was I was in that bucket and I was working as a VP of marketing and a dual role with a VP of product. And we had a bunch of trouble on our website and conversion was was pretty poor. And I was just looking for, okay, so we've got a traditional contact form on our website, first name, last name, job title, and so on. And we're losing a lot of people there. And I just thought, let's go see who's doing it better. Let's go sign up for a different company who has a similar sales motion and see who's doing it better. And so I went to the the ones that we all know, like the Slacks and Googles of the world. And then I was like, okay, that's interesting. They're kind of having the same problem. And I actually started writing down what I was observing and that led me to about 50 different software companies initially that I focused on. So I signed up for 50 different software companies, completed their form, took on their first sales call and I wasn't really sure what I was looking for. I was just taking note. How long did it take for them to reach out? Who was reaching out? Was it an SDR? Was it an account executive? What kind of questions were they asking me? And then I remember I got to the end of it and I was like, oh my God, there's like everybody is struggling with the same thing from the 10 person startup to Google. And, you know, that's when I was like, oh, hold on, I can, I can do product. What if, you know, so I kind of switched the hat on and I was like, what if we, what if we change things up? What if we do this? And so, of course, the first crack at it was, you know, was pretty terrible and didn't quite work. But, you know, you try a few times and eventually you get something It's like, okay, there's something interesting here. And so that was really how it, how it started. 
the research that you did, I suppose, when you say it now and look at it, it was really fundamental. But working through and doing that trawling, it must have felt a little bit by, like hard work until you got to the point of actually there could be an opening in the market for us. I don't even think it's that hard. And perhaps that came from the product angle. So in product, we have the challenge where uh, we're building something. It might take engineering horsepower, perhaps one engineer, perhaps 10. And we have to design it. And we have to think about how to build it. And then we spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours building a thing. And then we give it to a customer and the customer is like, eh, I don't know about it. And you know, we end up realizing just how many thousands of hours we throw in the trash. And so in product, you have to get really good at validating. Is this worth doing? Is this worth building? What is the right thing to build? Because you don't, you can't just like try three things. And so I think I applied a lot of that. And so for me, the validation was, it was fun because it's like, that's where you really discover what you should be building. And it doesn't, you know, it seems like homework. The first step is hard because you don't know what, you know, how to start. But once you're doing it, it's, it's just easy because you're learning. How do you then add to it the business value element, which is going to be paramount to you as a startup founder, but the real value to the end user customer? How do you then approach people who have been getting on fine? I'll probably put that in air quotes, getting on fine without you but then you're having to have them realize that there's a real win for them in getting involved with Caddy. It reminds me a little bit of a story. I, I went to um, one of our first customers and I said, hey, I'm, I went on your website and I see you've got a bunch of, you know, a bunch of these big forms. You're probably losing a lot of people. And they're like, eh, I don't know. Like that, that's not a priority. And, and I said, okay, well, call me back, you know, if you ever look at that data and, and if that data looks bad, because you might be losing a lot of people, you might not be. So a month goes by, they call me on a Thursday, they say, can you meet tomorrow? Yeah, sure, I can meet tomorrow. So I meet on Friday, uh, they said, we looked at the data, conversion's terrible, can you be live by Tuesday? Tuesday was the beginning of the quarter, they wanted to have new fresh data for conversion, I was like, I mean, honestly, at that time it was really challenging, but you know, we figured out a way to do it and, and we did it and you know, the conversion was the conversion case was phenomenal, but I think the thing that I learned there is that you can help get the horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. If they are not in that state of mind where they care about conversion and they're paying attention to what that funnel looks like, I can only bring some level of awareness. But at the end of the day, like we each have our own businesses that we're running or that we're part of, and we have different challenges we're focused on and force you to pay attention to this challenge. Rather say, hey, here's the challenge. Here's a problem that you might not have seen. And you know, if at any point it becomes a priority, like let's talk. But I, I feel like the same is true for pretty much every product that we're selling is we could, you know, whether it's us or, or you or somebody else, right? Like we can only just bring some awareness to it and, and let them figure out where it goes in the priority list. There's a limited amount of time in, in your day. What sector or is, they, is there a sector or is there a level of granularity that you focus on to bring your greatest value and also your greatest results from? Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that start if you someone listening here has got one or two salespeople, it's not that difficult to manage your inbound funnel. Like you maybe get 10 leads a, a week and then you can look at them. Like you can actually see them and like, oh, wow, these three look great. And I can go on, you know, click on LinkedIn and look them up and then decide I'm going to give it to Jane or Bob. And, and then they're just going to reach out. And, and that's not that big a deal. When you get to like three and four and five and 10 and 30 and 50 salespeople, then it's like a serious operation that someone needs to be there like filtering and handing out and who's going to get what. And, and then suddenly like, you know, before it used to take 20 minutes for you to determine if it's a good lead or not and who to give it to. And now it's taking two days or three days or five days. And, you know, and then we get to a point of like, I'm not going to name the company, but someone came to me and said, 
I try to buy a payroll solution and I reached out to two companies. One reached back out to me within one day. The other one took 45 days. And of course, you buy the one that reached out in two days and 45 days is a really extreme, but it's, it's a true story. But I think it's like as the company grows, like this machine becomes slower and more painful. And then you start feeling the pain of not having a really good contact sales experience. How do you look for the trends in the market right now? Are there one or two things that you pay most attention to as you look to that horizon two, horizon three world for yourself? It's a challenge because if you look out and what everybody else is doing, at best, you're going to know what the trends were last quarter. And that's what everybody's focused on right now. I think one of the ways that like we do it, and we actually just did it last week, is getting together with your own team on an, you know, an offsite type of activity where you're, you're getting together. Maybe you're putting down your laptops and you're asking the question, like, what are we seeing? What are the things that we are collectively seeing that others don't have the benefit to see? And what does that mean about, you know, what our customers are telling us? And and so I think it's more crystal balling (laughs) rather than like looking out and saying, oh, clearly there's a pattern we should chase that ball. And so we're we're trying to use like, what do we know that others don't in terms of data? What are customers telling us that, you know, they're not telling other people because there are customers. And so I think it's more along those lines and then just trying to see what is the world or almost like paint a, a vision of the future that that we want to live in. You know, we actually are fortunate to use our own product. Not everybody can can say that, right? Sometimes, but we're fortunate that we can do that. And so we often ask us like, what do we want? What do we want to have on our website? What do we think is going to drive our conversion? And, and then we think about, okay, great. What should we build next? <laughs> Ellen, you remind me of uh, an experience I had a few years ago now, but working with a startup, it was the early days of e-billing. And in those days... It was truly the early days and no VP in a telco or a utility actually had a budget for e-billing and it became my responsibility or any of the sales people in the company I was with to identify the business problem and try and work out if the capability of the e-billing software could actually help them solve that. As I'm hearing you speak, I'm imagining that as being part of your opportunity and challenge as well, where organizations may have business problems, which they wouldn't immediately align with what Caddy does. Is that is that a true story? Is that where you're needing to explain to people where that problem they've got, they need to wake up in the morning thinking about what you can do to help them? It's hard to say because a lot of people come already knowing what problem they want to solve, but they might not have seen the complete picture. They might only be thinking about part of that problem. And that's, I think, the great opportunity. You know, when, when someone comes in and it's like ready to buy based on one problem and you can eliminate the second or third problem, then it, it's, it makes the business case much stronger because the business case on just that one problem might have been like questionable and they might have made it, they might have been able to pull it through with internal stakeholders. Once you eliminate the second and third, that can be like the tipping point. So that's always what I'm looking for is like, what are the, what is the reason that they're coming? What is the problem they're looking to solve? And then what's the opportunity that they haven't seen yet? So I'm always trying to think about it from that perspective. Yeah, I think you might have landed on just to the end of your, your comment then to where I was trying to position that is where they mightn't have seen it before. So there is a level of education, but there's also the level of visioning that you're needing to bring to the the conversation as well. It's not just all about function and and foundational engagement and, and correspondence. Do you find that the the path to your go-to-market is evolving rapidly or it's more about fine-tuning now? Maybe you could speak about how your go-to-market started and where you where you see it moving toward in the near future. Yeah, what's interesting is that a lot of people talk about PLG these days. What they're saying is they're saying self-serve purchasing. They're saying, come to the website, decide what you want to buy, click a button, start using it. But product-led growth really either has a maybe like a dual meaning, but 
but it's not necessarily meant to be self-serve, but rather like, how is the product driving the growth itself? And yes, we could go out and, and acquire customers by throwing dollars uh, or, or, you know, whatever other mechanisms are. But one of the ways that like we are excited about, you know, what we're doing at Caddy, and I think a lot of companies have the same opportunity and they need to continue exploring farther. It's like, how is the product that we have creating loops that allow other customers to discover it? You know, for our case, it's if you go buy a product from one of our customers and you go try to request a demo from a software company, uh, regardless of what they're selling, at the bottom, you'll see Powered by Caddy. And they'll say, oh, wow, that's, some, you know, if I happen to be a marketer or a sales leader or some, you know, uh, you know, CFO, like that was a much better experience than when I bought this other solution. And then that triggers, I wonder if I should have that on my website. And so we're really thinking not just about, you know, how do we invest in traditional marketing, but also how do we make our product sell itself? And, you know, I think that's that the, the tough thing, maybe tough thing, but also the great opportunity is that it's very experimental. You can try different things and see what works. And you don't, you don't really need a lot of money. You just need to get creative about how do your customers engage with your product and how can you create more engagement with potential customers? The idea of experiments is uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. I had the opportunity to work with a different company way back and they brought some people in from Amazon. This is maybe, maybe 15, 20 years ago, thereabouts. And they truly had their black belt in experimentation. And I learned so much about it. The charm of experiments is that they don't necessarily have to land, but they can advise strategy. Is that part of your thinking with experiments that you're looking for the the data out of them as much as it is for the the product path? Yeah, I kind of see it as like we have a you know we believe that you know PLG at least in this context that I described is a very meaningful part of the future. And I think about myself as a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. And if you're going to get into experimentation, I encourage you to like, use that mindset of this experiment will fail and the next one will fail and the one after that will fail. But if I keep doing that, I will succeed. And that's in some way, like we have to pick a, a vision of the future or, or a path in the future that we want to follow. And then just assume that, that these things are going to fail. So like move really quickly through it, validate really quickly likely validate negatively and then just move on to the one that you, that is working and so yeah as you go along you just it gets always not necessarily better but you get closer to the actual good answer so to me it, it's almost like a game and so it's a fun game to play like you just you know the failures are nothing they're just part of that game because you know eventually you're going to succeed what brings you the most joy in your role i mean i think it's tough i think anyone who's got their own business or sitting in a you know, CEO seat of whether it's big or small, like this just every day, the context is, you know, switching 100 times a day from sales to marketing to people and so on. And so I think me personally, somebody asked me, they like, who are you? And then I just really think a lot. And I, I think I came back with like, I'm a creator. I like, I like to create things, whether I'm creating like a document, you know, I say I, some people make fun of me. It's like, I enjoy writing documentation because I get to create something, you know, there was nothing there before. Uh, but of course, like creating product is, is more fun than creating documentation. So I think anytime that I'm creating, I, I just, I have fun with that. And so I try to spend as much time as I can when reasonable creating something. Sort of fits in with the whole experimentation as well, always looking for something new and being able to bring some of your, your thought process and your, your innovation and vision into the everyday. When you look at Caddy and building a team, what would be some reflections and maybe some notes you would share with potential early stage founders as to going and finding great team members and getting getting your team to grow? Yeah, so I think the journey as Caddy uh, to give an idea is I spend the first year of the company working by myself, just on my own. And part of that is that I had done other ventures before and I I fall into the trap of 
being alone, I mean, as the word describes is lonely. Like it's just lonely. And, you know, you, we crave human connection and we crave to find a co-founder or a partner that's going to be really good at a thing and, and help us solve that problem. But the reality is we don't know what we're building yet. We don't know what kind of co-founder are we looking for. We don't know what kind of skill sets we're looking for. And so I spent that first year on my own building the product or experimenting, validating, and then eventually building like a very lean MVP and, you know, getting a couple of customers, getting our first few dollars. Uh, and then, you know, at that time, I uh, decided to apply to Y Combinator, you know, the, the famous startup accelerator. And, and then I got, I got an interview uh, to the program and I, and then I looked around and I was like, oh my God, if I get in, there's no way I can do this on my own. And some people told me like, yeah, no, this is, this is really challenging. Like this is when it really like kicks up. And, and so I, at that point I had enough of an understanding of what I wanted to build to understand like what kind of co-founder I was looking for. And I think once I knew that it was, it was actually really easy to try to say, okay, that's exactly that person I'm looking for. And then when you find that person, just go all in, you know, in terms of trying to win that person over and really, you know, bring your best sales self, whether you're in sales or not, just like, you know, get that person excited about what you're working on. And so I was lucky to be able to do that. Brought my co-founder, went through the Y Combinator experience. And, and as we hire our first few people, similar challenges, like you don't know what you're building. You don't know what you're marketing exactly. And, and then once you do identify that, you know, go all in on that person that you think is, is fantastic. And so I think we, we've, we've done that a couple of times with success and uh, excited to keep growing. What was your accelerator experience? Maybe one or two things that surprised you, you just far exceeded your expectations. When we look around and, you know, we are struggling with whatever challenge we're struggling in our business, we, we have this tendency to like believe that somebody else has the answer. And so we, we go out and we ask people and oftentimes like we feel uncomfortable that like those people don't really know exactly what we're going through. So we try to take their feedback, but it's difficult. And, and then you get into something like what commentary and like the caliber of talent is just unbelievable. And the mentors there are not just people that are like successful at marketing. They're like people who've sold their companies for billions of dollars. And then you get to spend one-on-one -on -one time asking them whatever you want. And you realize even they don't have the answers. And I think that that's a really, and, I, and then maybe that sounds like a negative thing, but it's actually a really positive thing because what they're helping you with is like creating your own confidence and helping you identify not what the answer is for you, but what the answers that you should ignore. And so if you thought you had like 10 options, they're like, don't worry about these seven, because these are a giant waste of your time based on our experience and based on what we see other companies do. These three, you know, what do you think about those three? And so it's this interesting balance of like maybe removing decision-making friction uh, or, or maybe avoiding bad decision-making uh, while still actually making your own decisions because no one's going to make them for you. No one knows the answer. And like, you have to, yeah, like, you know, craft your own path. That's a fantastic share to the podcast. And I thank you. It also answers a question that I ask. It's the only question I ask every guest I have, and that is around mentors and coaches. And I think you just hit that really well. You do the research and you run experiments. How are you at allowing intuition, gut feel to come into your decision making process as well? So it's a really funny anecdote on this. And I don't know if you read the, the book Blink. Uh, it's just a book that talks about that intuition. And I read the first chapter and I was like, my intuition tells me that I should stop reading this book. <laughs> and then, But then I was like, hold on. But then is my intuition right or wrong? Like I got into this interesting like cyclical loop of, but then if my intuition is right, I should keep reading the book. Uh, and, and so I think intuition is useful in deciding what experiment to run. And then once you decide what experiment to run, throw the intuition at the window and then just try to look at the data uh, objectively because it's just so easy to design an experiment that will lead you to a false positive or a false negative. 
that it's almost like choose the experiment with conviction that it will succeed. And as soon as you've chosen, throw that conviction out of the window and assume the experiment will fail. And so then now you just like, how do you validate that this, you know, this is an experiment that, that's going to fail. And so I, yeah, I kind of lean really into the experiment and then and assume it will fail. I, I find that I have over time, I've lent more on data as I've been able to find it, but then I sort of start looking for the data from the position of intuition and sometimes work out how far to weave back and how far to stay away from it. But you, you've got to have both. You can't just rely on, on the one. Do you find that your customer conversations are changing markedly now or, or subtly? Uh, given like market conditions? Yes. Sorry, oh, sorry, it's more of a question. Oh, yeah. Yes and no. You know, anyone out there thinking like, thinking starting a company, what kind of product, you know, should I lean into it? One of the reasons that I was excited about pursuing Caddy is that we get to work on things that impact, as they say, the cash register. We get to impact sales and marketing and anyone there thinking of going into things that are uh, far away from the cash register, let's say things like operations or, or human resources, like software in that in those spaces, they're really tough to prove ROI, right? Because inevitably, like, how do you prove investing it all into that HR solution will eventually lead to, to specific time saving? So the good thing is that products that are closer to the cash register, they tend to benefit in, in economies that are not as great. Because you have the fortune to say, oh, no, the ROI is very clear. We can prove it. Or you can even run it as an experiment, see the ROI. And if you like it, continue. And so I think those who are in areas where the product saves the money or is clear impact to cash, you still have an advantage. And I think, you know, we can still push hard and even in this economy. Well, that seems like a, a pretty solid place for us to wrap today, to have a, a solution that it has a, an impact that can hit the, uh, the bottom line for an organization. Sounds like a terrific place to be building a startup. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited for Caddy's future and I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, Tony. Real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feedback is always welcome. And I would appreciate introductions to potential future guests to invite onto the podcast. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.